1: Hello Trojan fans, welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Wednesday, four days in a row for the Parastyle Podcast. Of course, lots to talk about. We're going to bring in our buddy, Shotgun Spratling, uh, joining the show. He talks about USC football recruiting and, of course, the team, and he had a great piece up on uscfootball.com yesterday. Uh, the participation chart, breaking down who played, how many plays, and what it all means. So we wanted to talk to him about that, and you still have, I mean, there's still a ton of questions in my inbox about, this USC football team and the game and all of that. So we'll try to address some of those. Um, it's kind of time to move on, I guess you could say, to Utah State, but you, we do want to try to break down everything that happened uh, and the questions keep coming in. So we'll we'll try to address some of those points, but the main thing we want to talk about is the participation chart because I thought there were some really interesting aspects when you break down who was in the game and what they did and when. So uh, if you have any questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Or you can give us a call at uh, 641-715-3900, extension eight one six six four six, Or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page, and you can leave a voicemail right from your computer or device. We're on iTunes, itunes.com slash peristylepodcast. We're on Google Play. We're on Audio Boom, We're on Stitcher. You can get us a lot of different ways. So uh, a lot of ways to consume the podcast. Subscribe. Tell your friends that are USC fans. We've been doing this since 2008. And we're doing a lot more shows lately. And uh shotgun, I talked to you at Praxis yesterday. Hey, you want to come on the podcast? So many topics to talk about. I thought it'd be good to have you on, and thanks for coming on again.
0: Well, thanks for having me. Uh looking forward to uh getting to a next game. Um I don't know why so many people have so many questions. It's like almost like USC lost and nobody knows exactly what happened. Everybody's kinda dumbfounded by it. Which uh seems about right because the coaches also seemed a bit dumbfounded in that game.
1: Yeah, there definitely was uh <laughs> There was a sense of confusion. It didn't look like a team that prepared, uh, for nine months, um, getting ready for the game. The fans have been ready for two years. So you can <laughs> understand why there was a little bit of, uh, there's some, some ill will, I guess you could say in the, in the tone of the questions that people have been writing in and stuff. So we'll get to some of those. And I wanted to talk about the, uh, participation chart, but real quick, uh, we have a new sponsor for the, the Peristyle podcast. So it's mybookie.net. It's my bookie.net i'm going to explain a little bit more about what you can do with it uh, a little bit later on but they got a special for peristyle podcast listeners but uh it's football season now and so if you want to get any action and play you can do it my bookie.net for free it doesn't cost you any money uh it's a really exciting experience online experience for sports fans so we'll have some more about that um later on in the show but they got vegas odds and player props all kinds of cool stuff and they have a, a big prize thing so we'll talk about that a little later on um but, Shotgun, I wanted to talk to you about the uh, participation chart. Usually it usually takes a couple of days uh, for it to come out, but when you see all the information that's packed into that piece, you can kind of understand why.
0: Yeah, it takes a little bit of time to look through the tape. You know, I've probably watched the game. Uh, I'm The unfortunate one to have watched the game three or four or five times, uh, different parts. So I've saved everyone else the trouble uh, and the tears of having to watch it that many times. I've gone through and, you know, charted every play to see, you know, who's played, what how much they played, how they played in the game, uh, you know, how that turned out as far as, you know, the yardage per plays and different things like that, to see kind of how they're using players. You know, is Clancy Pendergrass going to, you know, is Pendergrass going to follow the trend that he had the previous time when he was here and he only used 10 players in games sometimes? And it looked kind of like, you know, he's going to go with that NFL method of, You know, our starter's going to play every down until we, you know, uh, until it's a blowout or unless we have a certain package for different players. So that was one of the interesting things. But you know, just going through and and trying to see, you know, tendencies and trends from, uh, you know, how they play different players.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, what are some of the more interesting ones that stood out to you? I, I, I think things I looked at that, like, wow, they never used the fullback the whole time. I thought this was going to be like a power run kind of thing. They never used the fullback. And Porter Gustin and Incheny and Wusu basically playing the entire game. Those are a couple of things that kind of stood out to me. If you agree with those or what else you thought stood out.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that was the, the most interesting thing is, is the the Pentagrass basically did not use any backups at all. I mean, the the starting secondary, if you include Leon McQuay, now he was in and out a little bit because of the nickel package, and sometimes they would go with three down linemen versus two, which is what they used most of the game. Um but those five guys in the backfield, uh, they basically were in the entire game until they went to the backups at the end of the game until Adoree came out with a bit of a hamstring. The only guy that went in in the secondary was Jenna Harris, went in for a couple plays. Um, he came in a couple times and didn't actually play. Uh, they, you know, play stopped or whatever it may be after Iman Marshall was, uh, on the punt coverage team. So they were giving him a, you know, a break for a play or two, but, but that was about it as far as that. The linebackers, you know, uh, Hutchings and Cameron Smith played the entire time until they went to the, you know, the blowout mop-up duty. And Uchenna Nwosu and and Porter Gustin, Uchenna came out a couple plays when they went with an extra lineman and some heavier packages uh, near the goal line stuff. But uh, Porter Gustin played all, I believe it was 78 uh, defensive plays, or excuse me, 63 defensive plays, 78 total snaps for him because he was on special teams as well. Both those guys played a lot. You know, that really stood out. how much they used Stevie uh in the middle. You know, I expected there to be a little bit of a rotation there, but no, he was in there, you know, a lot uh, at that nose tackle position. Um, and then, you know, seeing how much uh, like Akacedric Ware was used a little bit, you know, six, eight snaps there for him. Didn't necessarily think he would get in, but, you know, maybe that was just an Alabama thing that they liked, you know, that physicality of him running. And then also kind of looking at the left guard battle, I thought that was interesting to see how they kind of, Switched back and forth with Damian Mama and Chris Brown until the halftime. They went to Damian Mama and told him, Hey, you're going in the third quarter. That's what we're going to go with. And he stayed in the entire time until, uh, like I said, again, they went to the, that mop up duty with some backups there.
1: Yeah. So some interesting stuff. Make sure you check it out on uscfootball.com. Uh, it, you know, shotgun does this one every week. It's a, it's one of the favorite features of mine that we put up and, uh, some good stuff. Well, I think, I think. We can kind of talk a lot about what's going on in the game and there's some different topics to get into. I'm going to play you this voicemail question and we can kind of start with that and get your thoughts on, on what you saw and what, what USC fans can expect going forward. So here's the first one.
2: Hi, Parastyle Podcast. Uh, watched the game on Saturday and then I've seen the first half now in slow motion and, uh, USC did not open up one hole for the running backs not one and most of the time the line was pushed three yards back sometimes our offensive line made the hit on the running back because they were being shoved back into them and i thought we were supposed to have one of the best offensive lines in the pack 12 and maybe the nation but this was pathetic it left our defense on the field way too long uh Anyway, just my opinion, but uh, if you want to opine on it, that would be great. Thank you very much, and, you know, we got a long season to go, so hopefully uh, we get it together. Thank you.
1: What do you think there, Shotgun? <laughs>
2: oh, definitely. I think the office line was absolute
0: poo-poo. They were garbage. Um, I don't know any other way you could state it. They were terrible in the game, and it, it didn't get better from the start to the end. Um, and it wasn't one guy. You can't single out one guy as being bad. The entire line. There were different times. You know, it would seem like whenever you get four guys that would do their job, there'd be that one guy that didn't do it, and you know that ends up in the sack on fourth down of Max Brown, or it ends up with a defense lineman coming unabated right, right to the quarterback or to the running back. There were no. There weren't very many holes. I mean, Justin Davis tried to take some blame for it and say, you know what? Even if there's not a hole, I got to make you know a guy miss or something. I was like, Justin, you, you can't really do that when you're getting hit as soon as you touch the ball. So, you know, the offensive line did not play well, and that was the biggest issue throughout the entire game because then your defense gets worn down, of course. You talked about it uh, a little bit. We talked about a little bit at practice yesterday, the 10 drives they went on when you averaged 3.1 plays during those drives. I mean, your defense gets no rest at all, and then if you're not subbing in on defense like we just talked about, then your defense is going to get worn down more and more uh, as the game goes along, and, and you kind of saw that. Uh, suddenly one mistake here and another mistake there. And all of a sudden the thing is blown open and it it all started in my opinion with the offensive line, not getting a push and, you know, doing some things that were just really baffling. I mean, there was a lot of cut blocking where they didn't get uh, the guy at all. I mean, I don't know if Alabama is just that athletic and maybe that is part of it. It definitely is something to do with it. Um, but they negated almost every cut block that I saw on, on tape, um, and a lot of times there was just miscommunications. It looked like with the offensive line of you know Vianney Talamavayo would go to cut block someone, and Zach Banner looked like he was going to chip on the guy. But if he, he's cutting, uh, if one guy is cutting, you obviously you can't go high low on a guy. So he had to he actually put his hands up. Uh, I think on at least two plays where he went to block the guy and realized I can't touch this guy, or else it's going to be a chop block penalty. So those type of things, you're just like, why is there that miscommunication there? there? That's something that, you know, maybe it was the noise of the stadium. I'm not real sure. But, you know, those are the things that, that uh, all the offensive linemen talked about yesterday were communication issues. And I would say that's probably the most disappointing thing from that offensive line play. Hey, if if, if it is so that Alabama's defense line is so good, that they blow you up every single play, you know, so be it. But you should at least be able to be technically sound so that you know what you're doing on each play. And it didn't seem like that was the case.
1: It certainly did not, and uh I think some of the some of the some of the issues there, and you know was we talking with Dan Weber about this too, the splits looked really wide, and it looked like the Alabama defenders were just kind of running through them, and they were so much quicker and more athletic it the the wider splits seemed to allow more holes for defensive players to run through and you know we got to talk to Neil Calloway yesterday about it and he really didn't say much of anything, to be honest. And, you know, sometimes that's just coaching. You don't want to say much. Um, but he didn't seem to have an issue with what the splits were and stuff like that. Um, but it, there just seemed to be so many problems. It's, it's not one little thing. I mean, it looked like a fundamental breakdown on the offensive line. I know the Alabama front is great, but it wasn't even close. Like you weren't even, you just, you weren't even competing. It looked like.
0: Yeah. I mean, Neil Callaway had a pro- didn't have a problem with the splits and neither did Alabama. <laughs> they enjoyed them very much. Um, especially because like the one play that we saw that's been on the parastyle that uh that Daniel Jeremiah tweeted out the vine of um Vianney missing the cut block, Zach Benner not being able to get to Ruben Foster. And Ruben Foster at the beginning of the clip is looking at the safety and talking to him, but he immediately knows where he's going and just those linebackers are so quick, especially that you know, they dropped weight in the offseason to try to get quicker and he just shoots through the gap and there's no chance for anybody to block him there. Um, and it didn't help that Ronald Jones, it looked like, ran the wrong way on the the handoff. So, um, you know, a lot of things going wrong there in that one play. And it was just kind of emblematic of, of how things went there. With those wide splits, um, you know, USC's got some guys that are, you know, Zach Banner's 340, 360, somewhere in there. Uh, Damian Mama was once 400 pounds. You get some big dudes. But so – you know, play it in a phone booth, get get bring the line in and, you know, try to block outward rather than trying to go run and get to people. Um, and it just didn't seem like uh, that was the game plan there. And I'm not sure exactly why. Maybe they thought that there was going to be too much traffic and stuff when they were trying to pull and different things. But a lot of times you saw pulling guards and, and, you know, pull to, I don't know if they were just getting a head start to run the sideline on third down or what because they didn't really block anybody on the play either.
1: Yeah, lots of issues there. So we'll see, uh, what they're able to do this week, uh, to try to, to, to combat that and make it a little bit better. We had another question. This kind of comes up a lot. Um, and I think th- th- one of the reasons this comes up a lot is because the overall offensive philosophy, you're not really sure what it is for USC. You're not sure what the identity is. Um, it's like you're kind of going down the road. You want an athletic quarterback, but you're not really going there. So we get this one kind of a lot. I'll play it for you and get your thoughts. Here you go. Hello, this message is for anybody that wants to respond. Watching the USC defensive play for about a quarter and a half, I thought they played lights out. The problem is with the offense. When you go three and out and your defense is playing as hard as they can, it's very demoralizing. With that being said, USC needs to dump this predictable Mickey Mouse offense that they run year after year doesn't take a rocket science how to defense it. They need to start recruiting triple-threat mobile athletic quarterbacks. When you get a quarterback with that talent, you put the defense at a tremendous disadvantage. Wake up, USC. Don, Upland, California. I
0: mean, you look at this, and you can say that, hey, let's get a mobile quarterback, but the problem is that that the – Rare mobile quarterback that can also throw the ball and his, his first instinct is not to take off. It is still an evolution at the quarterback position. You're starting to see it more and more and you're starting to see guys like even like Matt Corral is an athletic guy can take off. Uh, Sam Darnold is the same way. You wouldn't necessarily call him a triple threat. I wouldn't call him a triple threat, but he's an athletic guy. That's the kind of guys you're seeing more and more playing the quarterback position rather than, you know, the tall statue guys, the six five Max Witticks that, you know, were the, the, uh, quintessential USC quarterback for a long time, but it's hard to you know do both of those well, and it's why you don't see a ton of guys do it well. The top end guys, the Sean Watsons, the Jameis Winston's, and Jalen Hurts has an opportunity to be one of those guys a little like because he can throw the ball as well, and he did a really nice job on a couple of those throws. But you know, it's it's you know finding that balance um, between a guy that can you know can get out of the pocket. But also knows to get down when he gets out of the pocket and doesn't get injured because you've seen, you know, what has happened to the mobile quarterbacks that aren't, you know, Cam Newton, who's the size of a tank. Um, you know, you've seen what happened to those guys in the NFL that, you know, injuries happen a lot more frequently with those type of players. So it, it's can, kind of finding that balance and finding just the athletic quarterback that can make plays with his feet. Um, not necessarily taking off and running or running the triple option or whatever it may be. But the fact that you can do something like Max Brown did on the third down and pick up 17 yards if a team goes man on third down and long. I mean, those are the type of things that you're looking for in a quarterback. And, you know, I think it's more the evolution of the position rather than and USC has to follow suit with that rather than it just being a USC thing.
1: Yeah, you know, and we get some of the questions shotgun where, like, It's, it's about why aren't they getting African American quarterbacks? And to me, and people talk about me that I'm like, to me, it's not about race. I mean, it's not a a racial thing. It's a what philosophy of an offense do you want? And USC is kind of trying to, in my opinion, try to hold on to the past. And we heard when Clay Hilton got hired, it was going to be a power run kind of thing. Well, we're not seeing that. You're seeing the pistol and, and the, you know, zone read kind of things where you don't have a quarterback that can run. And even if Sam Darnold was in there, the offense, according to Clay Held, wasn't going to be changing all that much. Um to to kind of incorporate that. It's kind of like you have to either go to that style of offense and then you get a, a triple threat type of athletic quarterback, whatever, you know, black, brown, yellow, it doesn't matter what you know, what whatever you can do if you can run and throw, or you try to go back to what USC was doing before. You're using the fullback, it's eye formation sometimes. I mean, and more of a power thing. And it just seems like they're kind of in the middle now and not really sure. They want to kind of do a little bit of everything, and then you're really not doing anything well, I guess you could say. And that to me, that's the biggest problem.
0: Yeah, they want their identity to be a power-running team, and when your offensive line doesn't block anybody, you can't be a power-running team. So then you're going to try to do other things. And, you know, they said that when they couldn't run the ball, they wanted to try to get their athletes out in space. So you saw some flare passes, some different things like that. Um, you, the thing is, you got to get your playmakers the ball. That means getting Juju the ball somehow. They moved him around a little bit, and uh, Marlon Humphrey talked about it. I read an article yesterday, uh, Alabama's, you know, potential top 10, top 20 draft pick at cornerback that had the interception return for a touchdown. He said they moved him around a little bit, but, you know, they were keying on Juju. They knew where he was going to go. They, you know, they you got to do some things, but – if you don't have an identity, then it makes it much easier for teams to um, game plan for it because you're saying, okay, well, they go to this formation three times a game, and they're going to do one of these two things out of it. Whereas if you have a solidified, all right, we're going to run either the pistol or we're going to run the I formation, this is going to be our base thing. And They did a lot of um, three wide receiver sets with a tight end. That was their most frequently used formation, uh, but – you know, they, they just didn't, they did it out of different things with pistol, or out of shotgun. But if you want to be a power running team, you need to have the personnel, which means a fullback. So, uh, you know, Ruben Peters is on scholarship now, was a walk on as a linebacker. Uh, they, you know, they've got to get him up to speed and, and be that guy. If you want, if that's what your identity is going to be, then you have to build your team around that and do that. And the offensive line has to play really well. And they didn't do that. So it's hard to, fulfill the identity they're trying to do when, when you don't have the personnel and your personnel doesn't perform up to its abilities.
1: Yeah. Hard to disagree with you there, shotgun. Um, all right. Well, we got some other questions. I just wanted to, uh, get back to, uh, our new sponsor and let you guys know a little bit about what's going on. So it's mybookie.net. Um, so because it's football season, you want to get involved. Uh, there's a lot of action going on at mybookie.net. So check it out. I just checked out the site today for the first time, actually. Uh, when they approached me about it and I'm going to go on and, uh, and sign up. So they actually have a promo code Trojans if you wanted to use that. Um, so what you will do, you get entered into their million dollar prize pool. So I'm going to do that a little bit later on today. And then next show, I can kind of let you know what the experience was like, but try it out. You go online, just type my bookie in, uh, my bookie, dent into your browser and then you can go sign up. If you want to call them, you can call them at 844-722-2387. So there's thousands of people playing online already. Um, it's huge. So definitely check it out. I'm, I, yeah, I, the site was really slick when I went to check it out today. So I'm going to do the sign up thing. And, uh, you know, so the promo code Trojan, basically you want to get into the prize pool and it doesn't cost you any money, which is cool. So it's not a, uh, it's not one of those things where you're putting in money into it's, you know, it's a, it's a free service. So it's pretty cool. So check it out. They got real Vegas odds. You can bet while games and stuff are going on. Um, so I like doing that. This is what I love to do when I go to Vegas shotgun. I don't know if you like to get into that stuff, but I want to try this one out. So. We'll get you to try it out too, Shotgun.
0: I've never been to a Vegas sports book, actually. I, I always go and, and party and stuff, but I've always been tempted, but usually I just lose money. So I've, I've tried to stay away from the sports best, but I'll have to try out mybookie.net since it's, it's not going to cost me any money to upfront. So I'm, I'm down. I'm going to try it out.
1: You can do it from your living room. So it's to check it out there. So yeah, and email me. Let me know what you guys think about it. So uh, I'm going to try it on a little bit later today. Um, well, we got some questions. Um, and we have so many questions. So I, you know, we had those ones that came in. I'll, I want to read a couple just that so we can kind of, um, discuss, uh, shotgun, if that's cool with you, I'm down Eric and duck country wrote in, um, have you guys noticed anything different about the offensive game plan for Utah state Are Helton and company going back to the drawing board? Uh, or do they assume that last Saturday's plan will work against everyone who is in Alabama? I think that's a great question. I'm a traditionalist and I love Harbaugh style football, but at this point I'll take any offense that will put points on the board. Thanks for working so hard uh, and getting to everyone's questions. Eric and duck country.
0: Um, we're not going to give away the game plan, but there are some saw some different wrinkles and stuff, um, some different things that, that maybe just correct things from the original game plan uh yesterday at practice um but you know i think that there might be a couple of different things and you know part of it is when you're playing that first game of season you don't want to unveil everything that you're going to do especially once you get in the second half and you're down already 30 points you're not going to start breaking out the you know the wide receiver reverse pass or whatever it may be the trick plays uh you save those for you know a tight game when you think you can get that advantage so i think You'll see a couple of different wrinkles this week. And I think, you know, that's a good coaching staff will add some wrinkles every week and, you know, build on the, uh, build on the playbook as you go throughout the season. So we'll see how that progresses in the game itself.
1: All right. Yeah, that's, uh, it's a good point. Uh, I like, (laughs) I like what he's saying there. Um, Earl of West LA says, going into the season, we thought the defense would be the weakest link. Saturday, we discovered it was the opposite. Isn't it an advantage to play a very good team and lose, so you can get a clear and honest picture of where your team needs improvement, as opposed to opening against an Arkansas State or a Utah State, winning, and not being sure of how good you are or worth being deluded into thinking you are better than you are, Earl in West LA.
0: Yeah, you don't want to be delusional, you know, after beating up on Arkansas State or you know whatever team it may be at the beginning of the season. However, you also don't want to lose by 46 points. So, I mean, there's a little bit of a give and take there. And, and I think it definitely, you know, if you play a, a quality opponent to begin the season, you're definitely going to find out a lot about your team. I think we found out a lot about this team, how they react will determine, you know, how good this team can be this year, or if this is just a wasted year and, you know, we might be able to call it quits after a couple weeks, uh, of weeks of paying attention to this team on a national scale. Um, so, I'm interested to see how they bounce back this week. Early game, you know, not going to be a ton of people there. We hope that everybody will come out with the Marcus Allen bobblehead, but you know, 11, 11 a.m. game, uh, we'll see how the, you know, the, the crowd is and everything could easily be a trap game. So if this team responds and goes out and whoops up on, on Utah State, that'll give me, you know, uh, a much better opinion on this, the, the overall merit of the team as as individuals and and their will and their fight and their desire we saw a little bit of that yesterday with juju fighting in practice a little bit and some differing opinions from uh from his teammates on whether that was good or bad justin davis loved it he said you know we needed that fire he he thought that there were players uh, and i posted the interview earlier today but he said that he thought that you know it seemed like people were asleep in the second half of, of that alabama game he said he just didn't think that people had the fire in their belly and he's Hoping to see that more and more this weekend. And maybe that starts with Juju's, uh, you know, little tantrum and you know, fight yesterday. So we'll see how it goes today. And then, uh, what happens on Saturday when they get on the field?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I didn't have an issue with the fight. I, I, I didn't really like the way he was kind of acting after the confrontations where it was kind of running off the field and pounding on the wall and people had to go chase after him. I thought that was a little immature, but, um, you know, I think seeing some fire is probably not a bad thing. But this Utah State team is not a pushover. Uh, Matt Wells is one of those coaches that's going to be, you know, he could be the next SEC coach, you know, get next coach to be hired by the SEC or the Pac-12 or something. I mean, he's legit. And these guys mm-hmm. uh, play a lot of tough teams and play them t- and You know, they played USC a few years ago, and it was a three-point game. Um, and that was, I would say, a better USC team than this, at least they've shown so far. Uh, this is not. So I, I agree with you, though. You know, to lose and learn is is fine. To lose by forty six, sometimes the lessons could get lost um, because it was such a drubbing. And do you lose the team if you're your new coaching staff? Are the players going to start tuning you out? There's it's a it's a tough it's a tightrope that you're walking here. Can this be a positive thing? Uh, or it could be a positive thing, but it could be a negative thing too. And I don't think you can overlook Utah State. I mean, it would be an absolute disaster if they come out and lay an egg against Utah State and lose at home. I mean, that. I mean, I don't know what the boards were crazy. Shotgun after getting crushed by Alabama, losing to Utah State. I don't even know what would happen.
0: I think there would be a literal implosion of the board. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, one thing I, I was very um, it was very positive yesterday at practice was there was more energy. Even before you know uh, Juju got into it with some defenders, there was more energy. That was something I noticed last week. I didn't think they had a chance in that game. I predicted um, to several people that I thought it was going to be like a 31-13 game. It just they didn't have any fire in them last week. It was very lackadaisical practice. Receivers were dropping balls, and it wasn't like it was a big deal. You know, this week, every drop that I've seen, or, or yesterday, every drop I saw, you know, there was push-ups following it. And, you know, that's a small thing and, hey, whatever. But it, it means that it – it shows that it means something to them this week where in last week it, it – you know, they didn't – that wasn't a priority, or any, I guess. Um, it wasn't a lot of energy on the sidelines during the team periods and different things like that, whereas yesterday you saw a ton of energy um, and some bodies being thrown around and different things. So, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe it's like Vianne Talamavayo said yesterday, that maybe this was the best thing for us. Maybe we needed this as the wake-up call to realize that, hey, we need to get our act. Together, whatever it may be, uh, and, and get going. So, uh, like I said, Saturday is going to be a really telling game for USC.
1: Um, Matt had a question, and this is kind of something that comes up a lot. Let's discuss this a little bit. Do you think the level of physicality or lack thereof from the Trojans, <clears throat> excuse me, is a reflection of the scholarship reductions over the past few years? Not using sanctions as an excuse, but wonder if there's uh, a correlation between the Trojans not being able to practice at full depth, speed contact with how SC seems to have been bullied on the physical front, like Stanford and Alabama would do over the past couple of seasons. Is there a possibility uh, of maybe a subconscious fear if guys go full strength of practice, then the team will be left shorthanded on game day? Have you witnessed lighter practices at SC than with other programs? Thanks and fight on from Matt.
0: Um, I haven't seen a lot of other programs to be able to compare, but, uh, I'm very stunned that they, they tackled once this entire fall camp. I don't understand. They tackled once. It was the third day of practice or maybe the third or fourth day of practice. Uh, the day before a scrimmage, they got like six guys hurt. And I don't know if that scared them away from wanting to tackle. Now they thudded and sure, thudding, you know, helps. Um, and the defense, and you can't say that the defense didn't tackle well, didn't, you know, their biggest errors were on, you know, uh, assignment errors there, mental errors with the DBs and different things like that. They tackled well. They hit. Um, they didn't hit like Alabama, but you know, I don't know many teams that do. Um, so I think it definitely has played a, a role throughout the last four or five years because you don't have as many tackle practices. You don't have that physicality every game because you are you are limited and you're, you're trying to save your starters. You don't want anybody to get injured, and nobody wants anybody to get injured, but. You know, a lot of programs will go a lot tougher in, in certain practices to get guys prepared for when they go up against a team that wants to hit you in the mouth, like Alabama or Stanford. And, and then how do you react to that? USC didn't really react very well to it on the offensive side. And, you know, maybe that's, that's something that, that has been an issue with Juju and uh, a couple of the other receivers, Daquan Hampton, when he got into it with a Dory earlier in the years that he didn't like getting pushed around by the DBs and. And uh, Marlon Humphrey, again, uh, referencing the article I read yesterday, that was one of the things that he said that they want to do with Juju is just get up there, rough him up as much as they can, get their hands on him. And, you know, maybe that had an effect as well. Unfortunately, you can't really tell too much from the um, broadcast version of the game as, as far as how the receiver is reacting to things like that because a lot of that goes on, you know, down the field and different things and, you know, how they change their routes and whatever it may be that way. But I definitely do think it, that the sanctions have had an impact over time in the physicality department.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, the lack of tackling, I think, is concerning. And I wouldn't say it's because of the sanctions. I think it's more about philosophies. And I think maybe at first, uh, you know, you, you start not tackling as much. And, and I think a lot of the times that Clay Helton was an assistant under Kiffin and Sark, that was kind of the philosophy. And maybe that's where he learned from, and he's kind of continuing that on. There's one day with full pads, you know, full pad practice a week. Is that enough? Um, it, it doesn't seem to be. Um, I was talking to a a, a, a a unanimous, an anonymous, a unanimous, anonymous, an anonymous uh, former USC Hall of Famer, let's say. And he was baffled by the fact that they would only practice you know, one day in full pads a week. Um he said especially for alignment, that's just not gonna help. And so I, I to me it's more about it's not about, well, they're coming off sanctions. Like I look at this team, there's eighty-one recruited scholarship players there. So it's almost where you were before. They put the added four walk-ons, so they're up to 85 again. I think that stuff is pretty much over. Maybe the distribution would you could you know fine-tune that a little bit. But even the peak this is probably more guys on scholarship than Pete Carroll had. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't think that's a big of an issue. It's more to me. About the philosophy of we're not going to hit as much. And I think all of college football has gone that way. There's less hitting. There's less Mm -hmm. two a days and all that kind of stuff. But to me, I wouldn't say it on the sanctions. It's more about the philosophy. And honestly, it seems like shotgun. It should be more physical than it is because you're not seeing it on the field. If you're not practicing that way, if you can, if you can practice lighter and play more physical, that's fine. They're not able to do that. So you almost want to say, Hey, you got to practice more physical to try to play more physical. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Shotgun? This, this I completely where... <laughs> agree
0: with you. I mean, I, I do think uh, the one difference I think is I think there is a lingering impact from the sanctions where, you know, those three, the guys that are juniors and seniors now where maybe that's why they didn't tackle when they were freshmen or sophomores is because of, you know, the, the limited depth at some positions. And I think that has a lingering effect on your career um, when that's not something that's ingrained that, hey, we're going to go hard, we're going to hit every single day. Um, and whether that is full pads or just thudding or whatever it may be, but or th- that's going to be our mentality, and I think that is carried over. And it, uh, like you said, I, I think that's also a lingering effect of Clay Helton being under those two previous staffs uh, as well.
1: Uh, let's go. Robin had a question. Uh, this has been a problem with USC for years, but I still don't understand. What is the rationale behind such conservative play calling? It doesn't win games. Why keep doing it, especially against... Alabama and uh, I you know I, mean, I don't know if it was I think it was more of a there was kind of shell shock where you can't block anybody what are you going to do and you've got uh, Rich SC had a great post today shotgun mm-hmm. where like there was three step drops where he was getting rushed and uh, so I don't know I mean I think the play calling was going to be somewhat limited because you couldn't block anybody but to me it's more about they just didn't prepare to for a great pass rush and to do something else but I, mean, I, I don't know if I wouldn't call it conservative but I wouldn't call it, it didn't have a a rhythm to it. It wasn't succinct. It was all just kind of grab baggy like we've seen the past several years. It wasn't, you didn't look at this and go, this is what that offense wants to do. Here's what their philosophy is. You just, you look at it and go, I have no idea what their philosophy is.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I don't think it was, you know, the ultra ultra conservative Lane Kiffin versus Washington state game where we didn't want to throw anything beyond the line of scrimmage. Um, I think it was a product of the offensive line. And I hate to bash on, on play calling because a lot of times you, we don't know exactly what the play is called. We don't know if there's an audible necessarily at the line, how much has changed, if it's one receiver that's changed, if it's, you know, the entire play has changed. So without knowing, I, I don't like to get to go too deep into the play calling just because I don't know exactly what was, was being called on it. Um, you know, what I don't, uh, what you don't see is that, Max Brown having time to find receivers and those receivers being open. I don't know if it's that USC gives away what their plays are, if, if Alabama scouting was that good, but like Deontay Burnett should on the tip pass is intercepted. Deontay Burnett is a very good receiver. He Ruben Foster shouldn't be able to keep up with him to where he hasn't nearly is able to put his hand on the ball, so that Max Brown has such a small window that he fires the ball in there hard and that's why it goes off of of uh, Deontay Burnett's hands and bounces up in the air, pick six, game completely turns around there. You know, a lot of times it seems like the defenders are right there with our receivers, I don't know if it's that our receivers can't get separation. I've seen Steven Mitchell, you know, do a lot of things and and be able to get open in in different zones and finding holes and different things like that. However, it seems like they know, you know, when a receiver turns his head at this point, then, you know, this is what plays – I mean, this is what route they're running. It seems like that a lot, that that USC is – As they would say in baseball, tipping their pitches, uh, as a receiver or as an offense to where they know what is coming. And, uh, that was the, the belief last year in that Washington game is that, hey, Washington, you know, USC didn't change their, Sark didn't change his sign. So Washington knew every play was coming. You see, the offense can't do anything if the defense knows what's coming.
1: Fair point there. Um, and they seem to know every play. It was, it was crazy. Um, (laughs) All right, we have a question. He says, hey, boys, it's game time, and I thank you for keeping us Trojan fans informed through the long off season. I look forward to hearing from you guys every week to make me feel that much closer to the team. Thanks for that. Uh, my question is, do you think Helton has more control of this team than either Kiffin or Sark did, and what does he do differently uh, than the other coaches that will bring SC back to the top?
0: No, oh, I think this is a Dan Weber question more yeah. than me. Um, as far as that goes, just because I wasn't around for the full time of Kiffin and Sark, but you know, there's a lot of rumors that the Kiffin kind of quit on the team at some point, stopped calling plays, said, "Well, you guys do it," or whatever it may be. I don't know if that's true or not, but that would seem like me that that Clay Helton would never do something like that. That he's going to be there for the guys as much as he can be. Um, I think it, it a lot. Uh, on the team and you know are your captains going to be the guys are going to set everybody straight Um, and and I think that's going to be a big question about this team I I think they could easily become one of the most uh, notorious USC football teams if the leaders do not step up on this team and do not make an impact and, and get everybody going in the right direction the, the players on the team have a bigger impact than the coach. Now, granted, you know you have a coach that oversees everything like Nick Saban, doesn't allow – he makes sure that he has great leaders every time. But it's also the players on the field. Like if you notice know, – Saban started to come over and just walked away. He let his players handle it because he knew Reuben Foster was over there. Reuben Foster is the leader of that defense. He would take care of it. And that's the things that you need to see on a team to know that the team is going to progress and, and be good As the leaders have to – make everyone realize how important that each job is and they had to make sure that everyone is on the same page and, and doing what they need to do.
1: All right, shotgun. Well, great stuff. Um, lots of, uh, still, I mean, I still might, I mean, I have a Google doc that I keep all the questions on. It's still a couple pages long with more <laughs> kind of questions. We want to try to move on from some of the what went wrong and Alabama questions. It's Wednesday now. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we have, this is our fourth podcast and so we want to try to, we wanted to give their the fans a voice. Um, obviously, they were upset. We see it on the uscfootball.com message boards, which actually, the pair style has been extremely busy, but it's also been very, like, I think most people are on the same page, so it's been kind of cordial. Like, they're, they're getting along better than I've ever seen shotgun during one of the most, you know, high turmoil times you could imagine, but it's because there's not, like, two sides. Like, there's some people that are, like, you got to give Helton a chance, but really for the most part, people are so upset. It's like they, they kind of realize USC's gone down the wrong path. So to me, that's why it's like, it's kind of tough for Clay Helton right now. This is a really important game. Uh, he hasn't won a game yet as the permanent head coach. He needs to do that, get off the snide, win mm-hmm. this one and at least set yourself up for, Hey, you beat Stanford. Now you're two and one in your one and oh, in the pac 12, the team that's, you know, had your number for several years. You get over that. If you beat Utah, that's a South rival that some people have picked to win the South. And you're in pretty good shape at 3-1. and one with- I mean, If you do that,
0: you've turned the season completely around. Yeah. Because right now, everyone thinks that this season is ending at 500 or worse. So uh, this is a huge month, obviously. And that's, I mean, that November month is going to be ridiculously hard. So important. And it all starts with this Saturday against Utah State. And like you said, Utah State's a quality team, got a, a very good coach, it's probably going to be at a, I don't know, like a, if Richrod was to leave Arizona, I think that'd be a great fit for him there. You know, somewhere like that, like a a, a second tier Pac-12 team, I think it would be a great fit for him. Um, and, and so he's going to have his guys ready, and they do some different things. You know, they have a, you know, one of those agile quarterbacks that we talked about a little bit earlier. They got a pretty good rushing attack. Uh, you know, they're going to do some things, and they they have a similar philosophy to Clancy Pintergrass. They they you know, they blitz a lot. They do a lot of different things out of a 3-4 defense. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how USC handles all that, and especially with that blitzing uh, with as much issues as USC had on the offensive line is can they get the communication down to pick up the blitzes, to give Max Brown some time, and then the guys can get open, and, you know, all of a sudden Juju has 200 yards in the third quarter, and you're like, oh, this is what it's supposed to look like. So, uh, you know, that's gonna, that's why this week is such a big week, I think, uh, that could determine how the, the rest of the season actually goes.
1: It is. It's a, it's a huge one. And I, I think you can't overlook this game. It's 11 a.m. game. Like you said, 50,000, uh, Mark, uh, Marcus Allen bobbleheads are gonna be handed out. He was actually on Trojans live, uh, last night on their, uh, their radio show. Um, will there be 50,000 fans there? Are they gonna have left? Are they gonna have leftover bobbleheads? That would be bad. Um, if you
0: have leftover bobbleheads, do you do them like the Super Bowl T-shirts for the losers, and you just send them to Nigeria or something? I
1: well, don't. You could do something. The SC fans would want them, though. So it's there, not like <laughs> it's not like you know, Dewey wins the presidency kind of T-shirt, so it didn't happen <laughs> or something, where you have to uh you, know, so you have to send them somewhere else, um, them to South America or something. Yeah, 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 hey, you know, need some T-shirts. They don't know who that Dewey is, or that uh Auburn didn't win the national championship a couple of years ago, or whatever it is. Um, so. Yeah. So I, the one thing though, because it's on the Pac 12 network, you might get more people in Southern California to come out for it because it, it's harder for them to watch the game. And that reminds me, I got to revive my, uh, Pac 12 bar and restaurant list.
0: Oh, um, it's true. I got to remember to set the DVR for that early in the morning. Uh, but one thing is it's a season opener. You know, even though the loss, people still want to see their, their team at least one time. You know, they might quit on the team after, you know, one home game, but. Everybody wants to see the team at least once uh, in the season. So I think they'll still get a, a decent crowd out there. And, and hopefully, the, you know, it motivates the team and they play well. And, and, you know, we haven't really pointed out there was some guys that played really well in that game. I mean, Michael Hutchins and Cam Smith both had really good games in the middle of that uh, uh, defense. Stevie Tuakolovato, Tua we really learned how important he is to that team. I mean, he just stuffed the point of attack on a number of plays. And they had to start double teaming him on most plays to, to get him out of the way to try to get some runs going up the uh performance there. I really like the way that Aka Cedric Ware carried the ball. I mean, he had uh eight offensive plays. I think he got six carries and twenty something yards out of it. And there weren't a lot as we have said, there weren't a lot of running room uh for the running backs there. And, you know, he just showed his physicality and I think they'll use him a little bit more, uh, continue to use him spare uh spots in here and there and you know, there were some other guys that kind of stood out as well, but, you know, those were you know, three that stood out off the top of my head or four that stood out off the top of my head. Noah Jefferson, of course, before he got injured. So it wasn't all bad. It was just a lot of bad.
1: Was... <laughs> That's well put. I like that. Uh... <laughs> all right. Well, I think we'll end it there. That's a good one to go on. But, uh, Shaka, we'll see you out of practice a little bit later on today. Thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to our fourth Peristyle podcast of the week working on a special guest for tomorrow, I might as well do five. I mean, got to probably try to do one every day since we're on a roll here. Might as well do it. Um, but that's Shotgun Spratling. Follow him on Twitter. What's your Twitter account again, Shotgun?
0: Shotgun spr.
1: Shotgun At shotgun ShotgunSPR. Um, does a lot of different stuff. Baseball, basketball, of course, football. Uh, really good stuff after practice, too. So check him out there. Uh, that's Shotgun. I'm Ryan Abraham, publisher of USAFootball.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time.